I want us to turn to Deuteronomy, and uh, I think we begin in chapter 26. I've got about, I wanted to go all the way to the end of the book, but that's about six or eight chapters. That's just a lot of material, so that's not going to happen, but I want to kind of uh, see if I can, I'm not, I'm not really sure, put it together and hit the highlights, as it were, and talk about some of the things that that the Lord is detailing for the nation of Israel as they are preparing to enter into uh, the promised land, the land of promise, the land of rest, uh, this land that God had chosen for Abraham and his descendants, this land that he had chosen to separate this nation around, away from the rest of the nations of the world because of their corruptness. You remember that all occurred back from Genesis chapter one all the way up to Genesis chapter 11. It was nothing but corruption on the earth, sin and men and rebellion against God. And now he's calling this nation out and separating them, not just as a people, but in their own land. And we previously, as we were looking at covenants and this will touch on it just a little bit but you remember that then as they were to enter into this land God had established a covenant with them first through Abraham and then later with the entire nation through Moses and uh, you you remember that they in, in the establishing of this covenant you know that God had set forth the principles that would be, were to be followed and at Mount Sinai, they all spoke before the Lord and says everything that Yahweh said, we will do it. And now, 40 years later, they're on the verge of entering into the land. And we know that the first generation, they failed in their covenant keeping and God allowed them to all die out in the wilderness in preparation for a new generation to enter into the land. So because of that, they had to be reminded about the covenant and the words that God had set before them and what they would be required to keep. And we also mentioned earlier that in connection with that, there were blessings and there were curses. Things that would happen if they would obey the voice of the Lord, things that would happen if they didn't obey the voice of the Lord. So. Beginning in uh, Deuteronomy 26, there really have, you know, the, the law has been reiterated to this uh, new generation. And we're coming down to the concluding portion uh, of Deuteronomy. And of course, the concluding portion of their time in the wilderness and their preparations to enter into the land. So <clears throat> in verse 16, in chapter 26, beginning in verse 16, uh, the scripture says there, this day, the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today, you have proclaimed the Lord Yahweh to be your God. Um, so really, this is not anything different than he did with the people earlier at Mount Sinai. They, 
he told them to be careful to observe all his law, his statutes and judgments and so on, and to observe them with all your heart and soul. I got captivated by that phrase, heart and soul. So I had to go back and search them out and I highlighted every one of those in my Bible. I didn't realize how many there were, how many times that phrase occurs over and over in scripture, heart and soul. And when you think about those terms, you're thinking heart, the inner man, soul, the life that we live outwardly that's revealed in our inner expressions by the things we say and do. And so he's really asking for total commitment of our whole being, our whole heart, our whole life, everything that we do. It kind of reminds you of you know what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to honor God, to please Him. And that puts it in a pretty minute perspective, as it were, when we are to honor the Lord in everything that we do. Well, it also reminded me of Luke chapter 9 and verse 62 when it comes to commitment. Because Jesus told His disciples, any person who puts his hand to the plow and he meant there I believe making a commitment to me to be my disciple to follow me and then turns back he says or looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God well, we find here that that's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel they didn't look back you remember when the first generation came out of Egypt, they complained about the food in the wilderness and looking back to Egypt, they desired the leeks and the garlics and the onions and the fish and the things that they had so sweetly enjoyed back there in Egypt. It's important to remember that because you would think then the new generation would say, boy, did we learn our lesson from them? We are not gonna do what mom and pa did or grandma and grandpa, or whoever it was back there that had died on the, on the trail on that way to the land of promise. And so he says, and when they say in verse 17, he reminds them, today you have proclaimed Yahweh to be your God. That was the same thing that they did back at Mount Sinai. And he told them that you will obey his voice. Verse 18, Today, Yahweh has proclaimed you to be his special people. Now, it's fair all along the way, with this as a picture or a type for us, you need to understand that's what he says about us too. We are his special people. You have been called out or called forth for a particular thing. And so then he says in verse 19, he will set you high above all the nations. Don't forget that little phrase. We'll encounter that a little later. Now, there's a lot of material here, so we can't read it all, but we did read a portion of uh, chapter 27, the first few verses there the last time. And over in verse 10, he reminds them again. Now, one of the things to pay attention to is how many times you hear this phrase, obey the voice of Yahweh. Obey the voice of Yahweh. 
So in verse 10, therefore you shall obey the voice of Yahweh your God. And following that then, we see the curses and the blessings. Half the tribes were, was to go up on Mount Gerizim and half the tribes on Mount Ebal, uh, Ebal and they were supposed to back and forth, curses, blessings, curses if you don't obey, blessings if you do obey. And he enumerates for them over and over what these curses would be. And, and, and they're not pretty. Over in chapter 28, he says, um, now it shall come to pass in verse one, if you diligently obey the voice of Yahweh your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that Yahweh your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. There we see that again. Verse two, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord or Yahweh, your God. So there were curses if they didn't obey the voice, blessings if they did and were obedient to him. Uh, you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country, the fruit of your body, um, the produce of your ground, your, your animals will produce, you're not gonna be lacking anything. Whereas under the curses, they wouldn't have anything. All these things would dry up. Animals wouldn't bear, fruit trees wouldn't, wouldn't produce. Um, there would be no rain on the land, they would be totally lacking in everything. In verse 7, he tells them, uh, your enemies who rise against you, you're going to defeat them. Verse 8, he says, um, the storehouses are going to be full. Verse 9, you're going to be a holy people to himself. Verse 10, all the peoples, he says, then all the peoples, when they see these blessings, will shall see that you are called by the name of Yahweh. Now, why would that be important? because they didn't have Yahweh as their God. The rest of the nations of the earth, the Gentiles did not enjoy that privilege. Israel did and does today. I think it was Arlen Chitwood that I first encountered that little phrase uh, as he expressed it, that Israel is the only nation on the earth that has Yahweh as their God. And I had to stop and ponder that and think that one through. And it was very enlightening at the time. It was many years ago, but uh, it was enlightening to me at the time to realize that. Well, it's true today. And he goes on to enumerate more of the blessings in verses 11 and 12. Uh, he tells them that the Lord will open to you his good treasure in the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless the work of your hand. Then he tells them something here. He says, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And in verse 13, he tells them two more things that would happen. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Now that's, goes right along with what he said earlier about he will set you high above all the nations. He's going to make you the head and not the tail. 
Then also he says, you shall be above only and not be beneath. But notice the condition. The next word is if. If you heed the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. Verse 14, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of Yahweh your God to observe his commandments and so on, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. I like that phrase, overtake. If you are walking obediently to the Lord without any effort on your part or anything that you are doing, God is automatically going to bless you, overtake you with blessings. It will not be the result of your labor, my labor, my intuition, my knowledge, my wisdom. God will just simply bless. But if you are disobedient, he says just the opposite. Curses will overtake you. And you'll think, where did I mess up? What did I do? He didn't, may not have done anything. Matter of fact, you may have been doing everything right. And then you say, well, why is all this happening to me? When I say doing everything right, I don't mean in obedience to his words. I mean doing everything right that you know how to do. And these things then overtake you. They simply come upon you. And so he goes on to enumerate these curses again. He reminds them of so many things that are going to happen. In verse 16, he tells them about cursed in the city and country. Or earlier, they were going to be blessed in city and country. And your basket or your kneading bowl is going to have a curse on it. The fruit of your body uh, in verse 18, the, the increase of your cattle in verse 19, uh, when you come in, and when you go out, everything you do, everywhere you go, whatever it is you are doing in life, there's going to be a curse hanging over it. And so he says in verse 20, Yahweh will send you uh, on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do. There wasn't anything that the nation of Israel was going to be able to do if they were disobedient. It would allow them to escape these curses nothing and he tells them now this is just a that was a general statement cursing confusion and rebuke he goes on to them to tell them specifically what will happen but he tells them until you are destroyed and perish quickly he tells them over and over and over again until you are destroyed. He tells them in verse 22, until you perish. He tells them in verse 22, uh, 4, until you are destroyed. If you go over to verse 45, until you are destroyed. He tells them in verse 48, until he has destroyed you. In verse 51, twice, until you are destroyed or until they, have your enemies, have destroyed you. Then he goes over in uh, verse 63. 
They were, and, and so Yahweh, now listen to this, Yahweh will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. Now the words there, the translator reversed them uh, in a sense. The words bring you to nothing is actually bring you to destruction, to destroy you. And the word destroy is the earlier word we saw until you perish. Now, we all know that Israel is still on the earth. They're still here. Several thousand years later. It's obvious that destruction here, to destroy, did not mean annihilate them or wipe them off the face of the earth. And they would no longer be in existence. But to destroy them as a people. To bring upon them ruin. And he tells them all these horrible things that will happen when these enemy nations will come upon them. Now, I, I want to, uh, let's see here. Let's, let's begin with, um, I guess it'd be verse 35. Now there are other things before this. There are many curses he lists down, lists down there. Uh, things like boils and your carcasses are going to be fed to the birds of the air, he says, and your enemies are going to defeat you. And you're, again, he repeats these things. Your bodies are not going to produce children. Your, your vineyards are not going to produce any fruit. Your animals are not going to be able to have any young. There's not going to be rain on the land. There's just going to, I mean, it, and then all kinds of diseases would come on them and suffering with sores and things that would... Well, matter of fact, in verse 34, look what he says. So many things will happen. He says, you will be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. And so finally then, beginning in verse 35, the Lord would strike you in the knees and the legs with boils which cannot be healed. In verse 36, he will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation. Another nation, which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods. See, when they got carried off into exile, which we all know happened to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom several hundred years later, that's exactly what happened. When you were, they were removed from the land of promise and they were exiled or sent away to these other nations, they were away from Yahweh. They were sent there to serve, not worship, but serve other gods. And we know that the faithful continue to worship Yahweh. We have uh, a brilliant example with Daniel. And uh, others like him. Well, of course, the three children that were cast into the furnace with him. There were many others who, who were faithful and loyal and worshiped Yahweh. But they served other gods simply because they were out in the world connected with the things of the world and they didn't have any choice in the matter so then it says um, in verse 37 you shall become an astonishment a proverb and a byword among all nations for Yahweh will drive you you shall carry much seed out to the field but gather little in and all these other things he continues to detail you know, the things that will happen to them because of these curses. Um, verse 41, 
when they're in these foreign nations. He said, you can bear children, have sons and daughters, but guess what? You're slaves. So they're not going to be yours. They're going to belong to the nations of the people where I send you. Then he tells them in uh, verse 42, locusts are going to consume your trees and the produce of your land. Notice in verse 43, the reversal that takes place over what we just read back in verses 12 and 13. In verse 43, it says, the alien, the stranger, the foreigner who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you. And you shall come down lower and lower. Well, in the same chapter, just previous to that, he said, if you obey, he says, the Lord will make you, or excuse me, that you shall be above only and not be beneath in verse 13. When he told them in verse 44, he shall lend to you, that is the foreigner is going to lend to you. You're going to have to borrow from him, but you won't lend to him because of your poverty. But back over here in verse 12, right at the end of the verse, if they were obedient, obeyed the voice of the Lord, he says, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And then the last thing he tells them, he says, the alien among you, he shall be the head and you shall be the tail. But he promised them over here for obedience he said in verse 13, the first part of the verse, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Just the opposite in all of these things. And it was such a simple thing as obeying the voice of the Lord, which they failed to do. And by the way, which frequently we fail to do. And God gave this to us for people like you and I to take note of in our day. Because in Israel's failure, they are still scattered among those nations today. They are still serving other gods today. And we know the day is coming. There is a day coming when God is going to deliver them from that through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these promises of blessings when they look upon that one whom they have pierced and they recognize who the Lord Jesus Christ is and they bow to him in obedience that those blessings are going to come back on them and they will overtake them once again. But here, he says in verse 45, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of Yahweh your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And, he says, they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever or to the age. They're going to continue that way. When he says that they're going to overtake you, then they're going to, and, and, and later, and I forget the verse now, so I won't try to look it up, but it says they will cling to you. The idea is, is that they, these things will stay with you until 
the purpose for which I have sent them will be totally completed and accomplished. Well, and so we looked at all, and you go on past verse 47 and on, he says, I'll destroy you until you're destroyed, until they've destroyed you, and oh, the awful things that'll happen. And see, this is, this is a preview, I believe, of what's going to happen in the Great Tribulation and how Israel as a nation is going to suffer then and as a people. He says uh, in verse 52, we're still in chapter 28, verse 52, he says, they shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down. They shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land. You shall eat the fruit of your own body in verse 53. The flesh of your sons and daughters, whom Yahweh has given you, your God has given you, in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. Now, of course, a siege is when walled cities have been surrounded. Hopefully, they, they think they've got enough store and stock that they can, and water available. They can just wait it out. The enemy will get tired. They'll leave or whatever. But if they're persistent, they're going to stay there. They'll build siege ramps to get up into the city where they can knock the walls down and invade and subdue the people. Well, during that time of waiting, when the food supplies run out and the wells run dry and there's nothing left, things get pretty dire and desperate. And so that's when they begin to eat their own kids. Sorry, kids, that's, what's gonna, that's what happens. Now, I know it sounds very humorous to us at this point. But you just imagine it. Now, I'm getting ready to show you something here. You just imagine if it was you in this place, what would you do? Now, I know good and well you would all say, just like me, I could never do that. But we haven't been there. Now, watch what he says. Watch verse 54. Now I'm reading from the New King James. The sensitive and very refined man among you. Well, just look around you here. How many refined and sensitive men do we see around here? He says, the sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother. In other words, I conjure in my mind a kindly gentleman, what we might call the southern gentleman. And he says, toward the wife of his bosom and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat. Now that ought to show us how desperate times are. What a position that they have found themselves in because of disobedience. And notice the rest of the verse says, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you in all your gates. Hey ladies, don't think you've been left out. The next verse says, in verse 56, the tender and delicate woman among you, 
who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity. And a lady, a refined lady, very proper, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and daughter, if you got the King James, I think it says her young one. But you might have a note in the margin or if you have a newer translation, it says her afterbirth, her placenta. She's going to save it because times are so desperate, they're going to eat it. And she won't even share it with her husband or with her kids because she's going to end up eating them. Matter of fact, you see, it says, you know, the strange thing in the King James there, I think it says, and her young ones, which comes out from between her feet. Then it says, and her children whom she bears. So you know it's not talking about a child there. It's something else. Well, I don't know if you know it. I'm sure the ladies know this. But guys, you may not know that there's a big movement on with young mothers today to do that very thing today. There's recipes on the Internet. <laughs> it's gruesome. But the picture that God is painting to us here is how dire and desperate they will be. And I'm trying to show that these same days are yet to come for Israel. And maybe for some of us. Because we don't know just exactly what God has in store leading up to the tribulation. Well, he goes on to tell them in verse 58, he says, if you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, Yahweh, your God. Then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sicknesses. And you know what the end result will be? Down in verse 62. He says, you will be left few in number. Whereas, he says, you were as the stars in he of heaven in multitude at one point in time. But now, and that was when they came out of Egypt, by the way, when he delivered them. They were a great multitude then. But the reason they're few in number now is because you would not obey the voice of Yahweh your God. And then finally in verse 63, and it shall be that just as Yahweh rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so Yahweh will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from the land which you go to possess or cast out, removed, deported from the land. similar to the judgment that will take place when those who have not prepared themselves for the wedding feast will be cast into outer darkness. They're simply removed from the, from the presence and place that God had desired to bless them with and they will be removed from it. And you know, well, I don't want to go there because that's not the point. But uh, 
Verse 64, then Yahweh will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place, but there the Yahweh will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. And so because of that, it gets to be the point where some of us get, man, I wish it was morning. And then in the morning you'll say, oh, that it was evening. In the evening you'll say, oh, that it was morning because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. Now, verse 68, and Yahweh will take you back to Egypt in ships. Now, that, I think, was both literally happened, but it happened figuratively, too. With Egypt as a type of the world, they went back out into the world to live amongst the nations of the world in judgment because of their refusal to obey the voice of Yahweh. Now, we skip over to chapter 30. What was the antidote? He says in verse 1, Now it should come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you. In other words, to some degree, they were going to experience both. You call them to, to, to mind among all the nations where Yahweh your God drives you, and you return to the Lord, or Yahweh your God, and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that Yahweh your God will bring you back from captivity. You know, God always extends the possibility of repentance. He always extends blessings if we will simply turn back to him. And that's what he promises here to them. Return to me, this is what's going to happen. And he doesn't hold a vindictive spirit or attitude towards us because we've been living out there in disobedience. If the turning back to him and the repentance has been genuine and you have turned to the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, then he says, this is what I will do for you. And he makes the promise plain and clear. So finally then, he says in verse 4, if in, I say finally, not continually, not the end. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there Yahweh your God will gather you. Now you might think, maybe I've had thoughts like this. <laughs> I wonder if God knows I'm here, that I'm in this dire situation. Does he know what I need? It doesn't matter where you are. In the farthest parts of the earth, he says, I know you're there, and I'm going to gather you out, and I'll bring you back if you'll turn back to me. And of course, this will all come up. Individually, they could turn back to the Lord. Nationally, we know there's coming a day when the nation itself will turn back to Yahweh. So verse 5, 
Yahweh your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Verse 6, And Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Now that's a, that's a lot of generations since the time that God gave these commandments of blessings and cursings to Israel and today. But the promise was made. He says, if you'll do these things with all your heart and soul, that you may live. Now ponder those words for a moment because in all those hundreds of years, even thousands of years since these words were spoken, they've all lived. Now they've all died just like you and I are going to die. But he made a promise to them that they would live. So what's he telling them? There's coming a day that if you will love me and obey me with all your heart and soul, that I will resurrect you from the grave and you will come and participate with me in my kingdom. And as later revelation tells us, it will be with their king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will serve him and reign with him in his kingdom. They will live. No promise was made to those who did not return, who failed to repent, to, who failed to obey the words, the voice of Yahweh their God, but only to those who walked and lived in obedience. Now he says in verse 7, also Yahweh your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and persecuted you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. One day, there's a day coming when you will turn and you will obey and honor the voice of the Lord and keep his commandments. He will make you abound in verse 9 and all the work of your hand, the fruit of your body, your livestock, the produce of your land. You see how he just briefly reiterates everything that I said would be a curse. I'll reverse it all and bring it back. Now you'll enjoy it. But he also says in verse 10, if, again, if you obey the voice of Yahweh your God to keep his commandments and his statutes. Twice, then he says, if you turn to Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 17, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. There we see it again. So consequently, down in verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. How do you choose life? You choose it by obedience. You choose it by obeying the voice, the words of Yahweh. 
that he set forth and established for them in his covenant with them. Now, if we transplant that back, as I did earlier, when we were talking about the new covenant of which we live under, and the covenant principles that Jesus laid down, primarily what we would think of as the Sermon on the Mount, in other words, that's the, that's the kind of the brief exposition of it, as opposed to say the Ten Commandments, which were uh, a picture of you know a small a microcosm, as it were, of of all the laws that God gave to Israel, they were to obey. We are called on to obey the precepts that He laid down in His covenant, this new covenant, in the Sermon on the Mount, as well as with He taught as what He the other things that he taught his disciples. And then the other principles that were laid out in the epistles. So we have the instructions of God that he desires for us to do and obey. And when we obey, we enjoy the blessings. When we disobey, we can expect the same thing that Israel got. Now, I say that both in time, temporally, as we live out our lives on this earth, but ultimately also a coming day of judgment in which it will be finalized. So that means it will happen in the next stage of, uh, uh, how do I want to say, in the next stage, age of God's plan when the Lord Jesus comes back to establish his rule over the earth. Will we enjoy the blessings in the land and from the heavens or will we be under the curses? Will we, as it were, out in the darkness, away from the presence of the Lord as they were when they were out in the nations of the world? Got to get to the end. A little later on, as time is drawing to a close and Moses is going to die and he knows it, God told him he was going to, he begins to share his final words with the people and he does it in a song. I just want to look at a couple things here. In verse 35 of chapter 32, he says, Vengeance is mine and recompense. He says, verse 36, for the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining, bond or free, and he will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they sought refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering and let them rise and help you and be your refuge. In other words, to see if they can help you in that day. But me, I will have compassion on you. And I will come and rescue you. As a matter of fact, in verse 40, he says, I raise my hand to heaven <coughs> and say. Now, this doesn't make a lot of sense in our English translations, most of them. But you'll notice it says, as I live forever. And you'll notice as is in italics, 
So the words are, I live forever. And the word forever is a, a, a should be, I hope by now, a familiar word to you, along. It's the Hebrew Old Testament equivalent of the word eon in the New Testament for age. And so if you look at the literal translations, uh, some just render it strictly that way. I live forever. But the concordant literal version says it this way. And I'll read the whole thing. Now, remember, I raise my hand to heaven. This is, this is Yahweh speaking. I raise my hand to heaven in an oath. Just like you're in a courtroom, putting your hand on the Bible. God's telling us, as I raise my hand to heaven and I say, I am life for the age. I am life for the age. The promise to them was, if you will obey my voice and honor me, then he said, or as we said earlier, you will live and I am life for the age, the coming age, the one out in the future when you are resurrected and you will come and then you will enjoy my blessings. You will not only enjoy my blessings now because you have lived in obedience unto me, but you are going to enjoy the ultimate blessings of living under me, Yahweh, during the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and his time on earth. That's what Moses leaves them with. That's his final word to them. Of course, there's many other things in between that we didn't have time. He didn't have time. We didn't have time. He had time. I didn't have time to go through because I'm already over time. But you understand, even from scriptures such as these, that God paints a picture for you and I to urge us on to obedience to him so that in that coming day, we can have the hope of being resurrected to a life that is filled with nothing but blessings and no curses whatsoever. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the promises you've given us in your word and that most holy promise that you, we know you will honor that in that coming day, obedience will be rewarded and there will be praise and honor to those who have honored you here. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see the blessings that will flow to us if we live lives that are obedient to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.